and today we're going to show you some of our favorite cute animal videos. I'm watching one right now. Look Not right now, Andrew. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we have five great cute videos coming up ahead in today's show. I'm Andrew Ryan. I'm Natalie So, but first let's take a look at the stories on our radar. It looks like Taiwan may still get COVID-19 vaccines from BioNTech after all. The announcement comes just a day after reports saying that China had blocked a deal for 5 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. There was speculation that Beijing was wielding its power by way of the vaccine's regional distributor, which is a Chinese company. BioNTech sent an email to Reuters saying that the deal is still pending. Taiwan's flag carrier, China Airlines, is going to evacuate Taiwanese citizens from Myanmar. That's amid demonstrations against a recent military coup. There are around 1,000 Taiwan citizens in the Southeast Asian country, many working for the 270 Taiwanese companies that have set up shop there. Taiwanese students are set to return to school on February 22nd, four days later than originally planned due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Schools like this one in the central city of Taichung are using the time to disinfect their buildings and grounds. Time magazine has included KMT chair Johnny Chang on its annual 100 Next list of people shaping the future. Chang is the only Taiwanese person to make the list. It says that 48-year-old Chang is the youngest leader the party has ever had, and he's faced with the challenge of making the party appealing to a younger generation that's wary of China and less inclined to push for unification. Now, so many people have gotten a lot of comfort from their pets during a difficult year. I know right. that you last year got a cat, right? Yes. Felix was three months old when we got him. He's adorable. And um, he's been really playful. He's added a lot of love and warmth to our home. But I think he's a little bit too attached to me. <laughs> because he's like, you know, when I come home and I'm on my bed reading, he's like kneading. He's doing this thing that, can, oh, yeah, yeah, the that they do. like Making when, bread. Yeah, making yeah. bread, which is like um, throwing them back to when they're kittens. Mm. And then when I get up, he gets really upset. Oh, wow. He's like, he's not done. He's like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, he's really attached to me. He wants you to work from home, I think. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you don't have pets at home, don't worry. We have five fantastic, adorable animal videos to share with you today to uh, put a smile on your face. And we're going to start off with one that's got a lot of monkey business in it. That's right. It may be winter vacation, but for one foremost and macaque, there's no time to monkey about. A photo of the Taiwanese primate sitting solemn-faced behind a desk has gone viral on social media. It's even drawn some envious comments. One caption reads, Even this monkey's got a job while I sit here unemployed. The photo was taken at National Sun Yat-sen University in Kaohsiung. Senior Vice President Huang Yi-yo explains. He says someone forgot to close the office door and the monkey snuck in to steal food. The monkeys are completely harmless, he says. One student says he'd like to offer the monkey a full-time job. Formosan macaques often come looking for food on the university grounds. That's forced the university to install special windows to stop them climbing in. So next time a monkey comes looking for work, it'll have to sign in at reception first. I just love the picture of the macaque at the desk. He looks so professional, so serious. I'll tell you, that <laughs> macaque had me macacklin. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. <laughs> okay, so uh, now with us is Leslie to tell us about the biggest animal story of the year. That's right, guys. I'm here to bring you a story about uh, pandas. Oh, mm. pandas. They're notoriously shy, and it's really hard to get to them to mate. Mm -hmm. So it's always a big deal when there's a baby <laughs> panda born. 
In fact, you could say it's absolute pandemonium. Pandemonium! (laughs) All right, let's have a look. A star was born on Sunday afternoon at the Taipei Zoo. After five hours of labor, panda mom Yuan Yuan gave birth to a female cub. Yuan Yuan picks her cub up with her mouth and holds her in her arms. The cub weighs just 186 grams. Unfortunately, Yuan Yuan slightly injures the baby during the embrace. She has a cut on her shoulder bone that veterinarians quickly treat. Yuan Yuan is exhausted from the birth, so the vet has taken some of her milk to feed the newborn cub. The vet wipes the cub's mouth and feeds her and tries to get her to make a bowel movement. The new panda cub is now in an incubator. Taipei Zoo spokesperson Eric Zhao says the cub just drank 18 milliliters of milk. She's able to nurse and is actively looking for food. He says the baby cub is safe and healthy, so everyone need not worry. Both of Yuan Yuan's pregnancies were through artificial insemination. They've tried every year, and this year she got lucky. Both times, Yuan Yuan also accidentally injured her baby, so they had to be separated from her during the first month. It's not easy being a mama bear. Here, Yuan Yuan is experiencing labor pain ahead of the birth. The panda cub will say hello to the public when she's about six months old, an event that's likely to draw a crowd. In the meantime, the zoo hopes the public can help give her a name. Now, did you see how adorable that panda was? Like, <laughs> so, so cute. cute. I love it. She so knew. Small. She knew, right? She, she was selling can't. it big time. <laughs> but she also needed a name, and you can't call her Boo Boo Wawa like I do all the time. And uh, the Taipei Zoo turned to the internet for some help. Have a look. Taipei Zoo's newborn Yuanbao is only about two months old, but she's already a media darling. Yuanbao spends most of her time sleeping in suckling milk. Last week, the panda cub still didn't know what her name was. Yuanbao, or Zozo. Now it's official. After an online vote, the public chose Yuanbao as the baby panda's name. When Yuanbao is not sleeping or drinking milk, she likes moving around and stretching her legs. The panda cub is neither playing cute nor doing exercise. It's all because of her claws, which are getting longer and longer each day. Taipei Zoo spokesperson Eric Cao says that when Yuanbao moves around, her claws sometimes get stuck among bamboo leaves. Pandas have five toes on each leg, but the the two front legs have an extra toe called a fake thumb, used to grab tea leaves and other objects. This past weekend was Valentine's Day. Do you guys think the animals celebrated? Well, I heard some berry white coming from one of the cages, so I think they did. <laughs> I mean, I think if they did, they probably did it better than I did. So. Oh, no. There's the pressure. <laughs> well, did you guys know that male penguins like to give their perspective Dates a gift? Really? And we caught that on video. Penguins court by placing a rock in front of their beloved. It's a bit like the way humans in some cultures propose with diamond rings. If the other penguin shows affection in return, the couple prepares to begin mating. That was what was going on at the National Museum of Marine Biology and Aquarium on Tuesday, which coincidentally was also the holiday sometimes called Chinese Valentine's Day in English. The penguins will build love nests shaped like small volcanoes after they have finished mating, says their caretaker. It wasn't just the penguins feeling love in the air either. Sea hares and puffins were also reportedly looking for romance, too. Aquarium visitors were delighted at seeing the varied forms of animal courtship on display. 
You know, after watching those scenes from that video, I was thinking, this could be the makings of an animal rom-com. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. Like, how do they know the penguins and the puffins? Like, they, it was Chinese Valentine's Day, and they're just like, oh, yeah, time to give a gift. It's fascinating. I mean, they must do it all the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, you know, I love a good rom-com, but I also love a great action-adventure film like this one starring an anteater at the Taipei Zoo. Three months ago, the anteater Xiao Hong mounted a daring escape from her enclosure at the Taipei Zoo. She jumped into a moat with her baby and made a break for it. Zookeepers found Xiao Hong's baby, but the anteater mama must have practiced magic in captivity because she went poof. Xiao Hong's daring getaway had zoo staff scratching their heads. Just where did she go? Caretakers were concerned about the impending cold weather and were worried she'd run into wild animals. On Sunday, zoo officials received a tip from locals saying an anteater had been spotted in the mountains close to the zoo. They dispatched 36 people to catch Xiao Hong. That might seem excessive, but when you're dealing with a seasoned escape artist, you can't be too careful. Zookeepers searched the mountains for over an hour before finding Xiao Hong huddled up in a tree. Get in that kennel, you rascal! Back at the zoo, Xiao Hong is washed and thoroughly examined for injuries. The smile on her face might suggest that she's not even the least bit sorry. Xiao Hong's temperature is a little low, as is her blood sugar. She's a kilogram lighter, but that's nothing a little chow can't fix. It's been a while since Xiao Hong had her favorite green matcha cake. Just watch her tuck into it. After a meal and a checkup, Xiao Hong's vital signs are stable. She's going to stay in quarantine at the zoo for the next few days. Zookeepers are glad Xiao Hong is safe, but they might want to think about putting more locks on the doors. How is that for a disappearing act, huh? That anteater is so cute. I bet he got it though, just for the. He did it just for the matcha um, cake. <laughs> Do you think he knew before he left? Like, <laughs> like, if you I'm escape, get a big welcome when I get back. <laughs> I just. It was just such a fascinating story. This one, I followed it, and I was like, "Where did it go? How did it pull off an escape?" There's so many details I need to know, but I don't speak anteater. It's driving me nuts. I mean, I would love to see the behind the scenes for that. Like, where did he go? What did oh, he do? That's true. It would make a great movie, wouldn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Give that thing a GoPro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going to finish off with a heartwarming story about how people came together to rescue a bunch of baby sea turtles. Check it out. Over the weekend, beachgoers in Kanding found baby sea turtles on Dawan Beach in southern Taiwan. The turtles were confused by lights coming from nearby hotels, so they couldn't find their way to the ocean. They could have died of exhaustion if they didn't make it to the sea. Beach resort employees quickly contacted park officials, and they found 24 green baby sea turtles. The little creatures were inspected for injuries and weighed before they were brought to the ocean. The hotels dimmed their lights, and the baby sea turtles were safely led onto the beach and into the sea. You just see those baby sea turtles, everybody coming together. Cute. Hotels turned off the I lights. Takes a village, doesn't it? Right? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, those were the five videos. We had all five. Which one was your guys' favorite? Allie. I love your ball. Watching him like just roll around. It's just so therapeutic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that is really, really cute. So tiny too. Oh, so Telling cute. you, she's selling it. She knows. <laughs> she knows. She knows. She'll be doing it for a long time. Yeah. Too. I think so. I think so. 
I love the macaque one. I oh, think it's, it's just hilarious. It's hilarious. You can just picture all sorts of other scenarios, right? Right, that we don't see usually, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, I myself am a huge fan of the anteater one. Did you see the smile on his face when they got it again? <laughs> like, it wasn't even sorry. It was just like, yeah, I did it, and I'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Those are five cute animal videos to warm your heart and bring a smile to your face. Don't worry, the animal fun isn't over. Up next, we have a brain game for the Year of the Ox. This year is the Year of the Ox. So I want to ask the two of you, how much do you know about zodiac signs? Ooh. Not too much. Not too much? <laughs> wow. Brought that down real quick in the studio, didn't we? Today we have a game that we are calling Ox, Taurus, or Bull. Whoa, <laughs> wait, bull. Yes, All so right. basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, I give you a clue. And I'm going to ask you if I'm talking about the year of the ox or the star sign Taurus or is it bull? And by that, I mean that uh, it's neither sign. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me if the personality of the animal was no, bull. <laughs> no, no. There's also a possibility that it might be both, okay? So oh, four dear. possible answers. Ooh. Oh All right. I think you guys already. will be great. Now, uh, this, it's easier than it sounds. On uh, buzzer number one, we have Natalie So. On buzzer number two, we have Leslie Dow. Are you guys ready? Mm -hmm. All right. First question. The following people were born during this sign. Barack Obama, Meryl Streep, and Naomi Osaka. Natalie. Year of the Ox? That is right. They were all born in different years, but this is definitely the year of the ox. Oh. All right. I try, I try to link it to his presidency. That's my bad. Not his birthday. Not his birthday. Calculating, like right? years ago. Don't think too much. Okay, okay. Thing. Sorry, sorry. All right. The next question. The animal, this animal became one of 12 zodiac signs in the 5th century. The year of the Leslie. ox? Uh, you are half right. I'll give you a half point for that. Uh, it is actually both of them. Oh. oh. Yes. At the same time? Yes. Wow. Yes, separately, of course. The Babylonians uh, did the what we call now the Western star signs. The Chinese did, uh, of course, the different years, the animal years. Now, the concepts originated much earlier, but it was in that century, the 5th century, that they kind of put them together really? in 12 sign zodiacs. That's cool. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Good. I did a deep dive for this. <laughs> Learning stuff. Learning All right. Stuff. Number three. This animal sign comes after a cat. After a cat. <laughs> Leslie, I think it was just a hair first. Is it Taurus? Nope. No. Ox. No. No, because no it neither. Was the <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, I thought it was probably oh, yours, but because it's, it's not. But well, there's no cat star, so I'm thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> unless you were talking about the tiger, but then again, we haven't been talking about no tiger. That's my bad. That's so the correct answer is bull. Uh, uh, the Taurus follows Aries, which is a ram. Ah. And the ox follows the, the rat. rat. That it's is rice. right. It's not good. <laughs> All right. Moving on. This animal is connected to the element of earth. Because he works the earth, right? Yes, you get half a point for that. You can have another half a point. No, right, sure, why not? Thank you. Oh my gosh, so now usually we are talking about this year as being the metal ox, right? Mm -hmm. That is the assigned element for this year. But actually, it has a fixed element, which is earth. So it's always earth, as is Taurus. Oh. Okay? Wow. Okay. All right, moving on. Number five, this animal is also a constellation. 
Less Taurus. That is correct. Taurus. Okay. So the 12 signs on the Western Zodiac are all astrological signs. Uh, the sun occupies Taurus between April 20th and May 20th. So the sun is in that constellation during that period of time. That's why oh. it's called Taurus. Oh. Oh. Okay, there, I see, I see. That's a, that's, so the sun has something to do with it. I had no idea. You see, I'm learning things every day. Wow. All right, number six. People born under this sign are thought to be stubborn. Ops? Uh, you're half right. Uh, no. <laughs> both? Both? Yes, this is oh, both. Oh, no, it's a stubborn year. I am a Taurus, so this should oh, be no, no surprise to anybody. Oh, no wonder you got Taurus into the show today. <laughs> so, uh, both of these signs actually share a lot in common. Interesting. They're said to be hardworking, reliable, honest, opinionated. I don't know if that's... It sounds like you. Does that sound like me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is one difference, though. The ox is said to be more introverted... While Torians are said to be more indulgent and uh, prone to excess. I don't know if that's accurate. <laughs> are or not. you prone to excess? <laughs> I think I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, moving on. Final question. This animal sign needs to be careful when it's their time in the spotlight. <laughs> Leslie. You're the ox. That is correct. Really? Why? That's right. Well, so they have what's called the Tai Sui God. Yeah. And so uh, when it's your year, that god is kind of overseeing the fortunes for that year. So you don't want to anger the Tai Sui god. So you actually have to anti Sui. Yeah. So you pray to the Tai Sui god. So there you go. How many points did you guys get? You're going to have to be on I the honor system. I think I have three. I think I have three and a half. I think he got more. I think I he th- was. I think I got like three half questions. Well, you know what? There's one for each of you. Thank right. you. And you can have a look inside. Thank you, Angel. What and is also what's inside? on the front. This is a, this oh, is it's a, an ox. It's a big old ox with some... Wow, Happy there's some Chinese flowers in there and some gears. And stickers. Ooh, he gave us some stickers. Odd stickers. And read them what they say. There's some very funny ones they on say, there. They say, I've slept enough. Ooh, yeah. Super, super pong. Oh, I hope that happens. Don't get, don't don't, get I, I won't don't never get, get fat. I would yeah. like to show this to our bosses, Xing, which means <laughs> I like I that like too. That. <laughs> there's also one, so like, don't uh, work overtime. Yes. Uh, oh, these are great. Well. Great to give well. to colleagues. Yes. So there you go. That is uh, my uh, best wishes, not only for Natalie and Leslie, but for you as well during the Year of the Ox. Now, earlier in our show today, we showed you a macaque, a monkey, taking over an office. So the final question today is, what animal can you imagine taking over Taiwan Insider? Leslie. Uh, my answer is Dem Penguin. <laughs> oh, that would be so cute. Because uh, they give gifts, they build houses. Why wouldn't they come back to my job? That's hilarious. Nice. I would love to see this indigenous animal, the oh, Formosan clouded leopard. They're a beautiful animal that we hope to see around. Yunbao, right? You want to yes. see more of them? Yes. All right. Well, mine uh, is a little bit silly. Uh, Munchak. Hey. This is a little mixture between a dog and a deer. Sometimes they call yeah. it a barking deer. The only problem, though, is they say that the call of the munchak sounds like a dirty word in Chinese. So I don't know if they're going to last very long as the host yeah. of Target yeah. Insider. Uh, there you go. Get those ratings go drop. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us for today's edition of Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, um, leave a comment and subscribe if you like us. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week.
All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello, I'm Natalie So. How do you explore Taiwan? Well, today we're going to hear from the well-known Lonely Planet writer for Taiwan, Joshua Samuel Brown. He's also just come out with a comedy novel set in Taiwan called Spinning Karma. Brown is now in Portland and hasn't been in Taiwan for over a year. I first asked him what he misses most about Taiwan. There is this collective spirit in Taiwan, and I believe that that's one of the reasons that Taiwan has been so uh, efficient at, at knocking out COVID, is that there's this collective spirit. Everybody, look, we all need to wear masks. We all need to do this. This is for the good of society, and it's for your own good, and it's for the good of society. Here in America, especially, we don't have that. We're, we have it in some circles, in some places, but there are still people arguing about, oh, I don't want to wear a mask because it's not, it's not useful or it's not going to help me or why should I care? And that collective spirit, that spirit of helping your fellow person, which, again, we have that here in America in some areas and in some places, but I wouldn't say that that is a collective American value. But I do think that Taiwan has a collective spirit of what is good for society is good for the individual. And that is especially when we're going through, this is the greatest crisis that the planet has gone through in, in almost 100 years, I think, maybe. And the fact that the collective spirit of Taiwan is showing the way out of this crisis and everywhere else where they're still dickering about, oh, should I get vaccinated? Should I wear a mask? You know, what's, is this even a real thing? We don't know. It is showing how powerful having that collective spirit of what is good for society is good for everyone. Uh, that is what I miss probably, which is why now, and also, and I get on Taiwan Twitter all the time and I'm always jealous. I'm like, oh, you know, I got to do the, I went to the beach today. <laughs> I went to the beach. So yeah, that, and obviously the food and stuff like that, but you know. <sighs> any, I know you've traveled throughout Taiwan and cause you're a travel writer. Is there any place that you miss? Any place in Taiwan or any place you would recommend for us here? Because now all we can do is travel domestically. And, and you know what? I wouldn't pick a bet another place on the planet if I could only travel domestically. I'm getting emails from my Taiwanese friends who are like, oh, I just went to Guanzaling. I never went to Guanzaling before. And I'm like, I've been to Guanzaling eight times. You know, <laughs> I love Guanzaling. Thank you for bringing that up because I wrote an article for Topics Magazine last year, and the article was about how Taiwan's tourism industry had been, by and large, saved by Taiwanese people and also members of Taiwan's expat community saying, you know what, I can't go to Thailand, can't go to Japan, can't go back to America, can't go back wherever. I'm going to explore Taiwan as much as I can. And so far, nobody that I know has said, oh, now I'm bored. You know, I'm bored exploring Taiwan. And it's been a year. You know what? You've already seen. Uh, you've been all around um, the mountains. Then go to Penghu. You've been around Penghu. Go to Jinmen. Go to Mazu. As far as a favorite place, I get asked this question a lot. And honestly, anywhere that I am in Taiwan, I feel like I'm at home. When I land at the airport, I feel like I'm at home. It's the first thing that happens. I get into a taxi, and I'm like, "Oh, this is this is my thinking, my inner monologue." Oh, 
我很久就是没有说中文，所以我什么都忘记了，我忘记了。And then I get into a taxi and it's like, ah, hey, how are you? You speak English? Ah, 当然我说中文啊，可以啊，好啊。And then within ten minutes, I'm talking about politics or whatever with the taxi driver. That file in my head that's been asleep for, in this case, it would be like a year or two. It's like, oh, you know, accessing, you know. Mandarin Chinese file. Oh, it's coming back. I occasionally, my job, I get calls from people who speak Chinese. Sometimes I have to practice, and I get to use it. But I, I usually in America, my strategy is I go, I either find people who are Taiwanese or Chinese, and I go to their restaurants and I talk to them. Can't do that now because the restaurants are closed. So I did take your advice from last time or a tip you gave about going to Xiaoliuqiu because you guys were so excited about that、mm -hmm. when I interviewed you, and it is so beautiful. Yep. The sea turtles and and you know the coastline. Xiaoliuqiu is one of the places that I would live if I could like oh I could open up a B and B here I would live there. It's beautiful. It's big enough that you don't get bored. And if you do get bored, you take the boat. You go into you go hang out in Gaoxiang, which is a cool city.、Um, yeah. How long did you spend on Xiaoliuqiu? Just two days. Okay. So did you agree? I wrote I wrote an article called Three Days on Xiaoliuqiu is not enough. Did you think two days was enough or too long? No, it wasn't enough. I didn't see the sunset. There are a lot of things I could have done that I didn't do. There's there's like eighty five temples there. I also miss the temples terribly. I miss the color, just the vibrancy of the color in Taiwan. And so, have you been to Green Island? Of course, I've been to Green Island. There's、oh, that's kind of my no place I haven't been. Wish on, on my wish list. How would you say is the best way to enjoy Green Island? First off, don't eat before you get on the boat. Take medicine because there's a reason that I called the boat there the Green Island Vomit Comet. I have been on that boat eight times. Only once did I manage to do it without vomiting, but that was close. Like that was like. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Okay, and、um, that was because I took the medicine that they gave me, and I kind of meditated and I lay on the ground, and that helped me. So that's the one thing. Or fly if you can afford to fly, because it's a quick flight, and then you avoid the boat. Last time I went there, I believe that the、um, the Sunrise Hot Springs had been a little bit damaged from a recent typhoon. Hopefully, they have fixed those. Get up early, early, early. Get up before dawn. And ride your bicycle or your motor scooter to go out to the sunrise hot springs before the sun comes up, and then get so that you're sitting in that hot spring and watching the sun come up. Even if you're not an early riser, make sure that you do that.、Um, amazing. Yeah.、Um, and any travel tips in general about、um, enjoying Taiwan? Any any tip you can give us here, and and for anyone who wants to travel around Taiwan. If you're in Taiwan and you're a Taiwan person or you're a, a foreigner who's listening to this and you've lived in Taiwan and you have been at least two, at least、uh, this is my minimum. I think you have to go to Xiaoliuqiu. You have to go to Green Islands. When you go to Green Islands, you need to visit the Human Rights Museum. And if you are someone who is、uh, sensitive or a psychic, when you go to that that place. I feel that it is very healing because there are spirits there of the people who who suffered so greatly there, and I think that when you visit there, if you can open up and let them know that it's okay, that they can they can leave this place or they can go home, and that they won't be hurt anymore, it's important to do that. And I bring that up because when I went there the first time, I went into that building. It was before it was opened up, and I felt ghosts in there, and I ran away. I was like, oh my god, I'm scary. And then I went in there another time, and I was like, no. My, I talk a lot about this in my book, which I'll hold up again. My dharma, the reason that I'm here, why did the spirits bring me here? And I was like, oh, 
there's something healing that I can do in here. And I sat and I actually went into one of the, it wasn't locked, but I went into one of the, 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 the cells and I sat there and I actually felt myself talking with the spirits of the people who had died there and it stopped being scary. And I was like, I, I said, I said, nobody can hurt you anymore. And I felt like this was a healing thing because there's this darkness there. Uh, that, and, that's, and I think other people have done that too. I know that monks have gone there and Buddhist groups have gone there to try to cleanse it. It doesn't have that scary feeling about it. And I think that that's because of people doing this. So yeah, just to continue, Green Island for sure. If you can ride a bicycle around Taiwan, ride a bicycle around Taiwan. If Don't do it. Do it. The best month to do that is honestly April, early May, March or October, November, if you can, if you can schedule that, ride around the island and don't shirk the West Coast. People are like, oh, the West Coast, that's where there's more pollution. The East Coast is more beautiful. The West Coast has a lot of really, really cool stuff. Go to small towns, talk to people, meet people. What did somebody just, uh, I, I mentioned Guanzaling earlier. There is a temple somebody mentioned on uh, D something. It means hell, the hell temple. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, it's not in Guanzaling. I'm wrong. It is in Tainan County, and it is a temple where it shows all the terrible things that can happen when you go to hell if you're a Taoist. And but it's it's really really scary and cool. <laughs> uh, and it's like I, I I got I forget the name of the place. I could scroll my phone and look on Twitter. But every I've sent a bunch of people there, and they're like, "Oh my god, I never knew about this place." Uh, it's in Tainan County, of course. Tainan, uh, I could I could spend months just walking around Tainan, just walking along those alleyways that, you know, were there when, you know, Koshinga came to Taiwan. They were, they're that old there from the Ming dynasty. Definitely Tainan is one of my favorite cities. If, if somebody asked me, what's the one thing that you would want to do if you're like, an, oh, and I have this, this is my plan. We're going to buy a house. But when I'm an old man, I will come back to Taiwan. I'll have like, you know, either be bald or have long hair. And I'll have like a stick because old men have sticks. You know, just, <laughs> that's my plan. I'm like 53. So I'm, I'm planning way ahead. I'm talking like 30 years, you know, after I pay my mortgage uh, or probably before then I'll come back. And I just want to, I like walking around in Taipei in just the alleyways, the, just the neighborhoods. You ask me, why is Taiwan funny? Like, do you ever hang out in the Shida district? Yeah, sure. There's this guy who has a house. It's not too far from KGB, if you ever go to KGB Burger. And he's just, he's done his whole house up with artwork. This whimsical, weird artwork from all over the world. And it's his house. And I've never seen the guy. I've seen the, I think it may be his wife or something cleaning outside. I've never met him. He decorated his whole house so that it looks weird and unique and you you can stand out there and look at the stuff pictures whatever any alley that you walk down anywhere in Taipei, if you walk around long enough you're gonna see something like that some house that some uniquely wonderful individual and you know i use the word weird in the best way i know that when I talk to Taiwan people and chi has this maybe not good meaning but what quirky Teach me how to say quirky in Taiwanese. No, I mean like Kalki, like kind of um, fun and playful. Fun and yes. A little bit naughty, you know. I mean, a little bit not in a bad way, but yeah, like a kindergarten kid naughty, not like naughty naughty. Um, That's all over the place, and like 
you know, when you walk around Portland, which is where I live now, you, people decorate their houses unusually around Christmas and around Halloween. But generally speaking, not all year round, but in Taiwan, people will decorate their spaces and their homes. And I can't tell you how many taxi cabs that I've gotten into. And I literally mean, I can't even remember how many where there's something very unusual about this taxi driver. He has all little bobblehead dolls of like, yeah, Yeah, like, but that's like an every week occurrence that some taxi driver who's got his taxi cab done in, oh, I really like Godzilla. So I've got a thousand little Godzilla dolls and enjoy the taxi ride. I'm going to get you from point A to point B, but enjoy my little world for the half an hour that you're in my taxi. There are so many people in Taiwan who want to invite you into their quirky little worlds for a little while. And then when you come out, you're like, wow, that was interesting. I've never had a boring day in Taiwan. And that is no matter where you go, you know, I used to live in Shinju. So people are like, oh, Shinju is so boring. And I would have my Taipei, especially, well, Taiwan and Peng, you know, oh, Shinju han uliao, han uliao, han uliao. And then I moved to Shinju and I met all these people who are like quirky and weird. And I, now that I walk around Shinju, I always see all these really cool places. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Any town, any city, any village in Taiwan, you will see people like that. You will see places like that. People who make their living spaces an extension of their own very unique vibe. So, Well, Joshua, it's been great talking with you about Taiwan. Um, you write so many beautiful things about Taiwan, so many fun things. And congratulations on your latest book. Spinning Karma. May I tell people where to buy the book? Because now it can be bought in Taiwan. It can be bought at Cause Books, um, which, as you know, is a very important bookstore. So please do support them, Causeway Books. My publisher is Camphor Press. You can also order them online. If you're watching this not in Taiwan, you can order it from Camphor Press. It's also going to bookstores. My hope is that people read this book and that it helps to pay my mortgage because I'm about to sign a 30-year mortgage. Um, but also that people read this book and they're like, wow, Taiwan is a really interesting place. I want to go there. I don't know that they'll experience the things in this book because this is fiction, but if they want to know what's really there, they want to know where to go, they can buy, you know, any Lonely Planet Guide about Taiwan or Formosa Moon or, or they can just write me an email and I'll let them know where to go. Well, thank you so much. Um, I've been speaking with the brilliant writer, Joshua Samuel Brown, the Lonely Planet writer for Taiwan, and he has a lot of great books about Taiwan. The latest is called Spinning Karma. John Van Trieste. And the destination. London, 1704. Could Taiwanese history really have been made in the Europe of the 1700s? Well, maybe. 
If you'd told someone in 18th century Europe that you'd visited Taiwan, you'd have to forgive them for either laughing or scowling at you. Starting in 1704, Taiwan was at the center of a European craze. It all starts that year with the publication of a new book about Taiwan in London. It's called An Historical and Geographical Description of Formosa, an island subject to the Emperor of Japan. Its author is a man in his 20s with strange habits who says he's come from Taiwan, or as the Europeans call it, Formosa. The book is incredibly detailed, explaining religion, food, coins, and many other aspects of life in Taiwan. But there's a big catch. In 1704, Taiwan is not subject to the Emperor of Japan. Open the book, and you'll find woodcuts with elephants, strange altars, and even a floating city. Look at the portrait of the author, and you'll be even more surprised. He's described as pale, blonde, even Dutch-looking, and he seems to fit this description. We've stumbled on one of the most bizarre footnotes in Taiwan's history. It's the peculiar case of George Salmanazar. Salmanazar is not his real name. We don't know what his real name was. Nor do we know the total number of names he went by during his lifetime, though there are stories of him wandering Europe pretending to be an Irish pilgrim. Some believe he really comes from the south of France. But it's his Taiwanese act that really takes over when a stint as a soldier brings him to the Netherlands. He invents strange rituals and habits, speaks gibberish, and writes in a script of his own invention. The Netherlands had once colonized Taiwan, so if anyone in Europe can sniff out a fake Formosan, it's the Dutch. But gullibility and unfamiliarity with Asia don't explain the Salmanazar phenomenon. Salmanazar knows his audience and how to milk it. The final version of his story goes like this. A Jesuit, disguised as a Taiwanese, became Salmanazar's tutor. He then kidnapped young Salmanazar and brought him to France. When Salmanazar refused to convert to Catholicism, he was threatened with the Inquisition and escaped. It's an incredible story, and one of the first to hear it is a Scottish reverend called Innes, who happens to be in town. He sees an opportunity. The story has romance, adventure, and an anti-Jesuit message that the English public will love. It has the makings of a bestseller, and if he, Innes, can get this blonde-haired Asian to convert to Anglicanism, his boss, the Bishop of London, will be very pleased. Maybe pleased enough to score him a promotion. So, where deception fails, greed takes over. A baptism and a passage to England give Salmanazar a launchpad for springing his hoax on a much larger audience. Salmanazar's 1704 book sells out immediately. Formosa's capital is at a place called Externetza, he writes, and the country is ruled from Japan by Emperor Mariandanu. He would have us believe that Taiwan is inhabited by tigers, rhinoceroses, and elephants, that its people drink snake's blood for breakfast, that they make bread from roots, and that they regard the bodies of executed criminals as a delicacy. And it all just gets more sensational from there. Salmanazar writes that there are thousands and thousands of child sacrifices every year. The sun, moon, and stars are worshipped. The Formosans practice polygamy, and they wear brass, gold, or silver plates to cover up down below. 
With the success of the English version, French and Dutch editions of the book follow. The learned Royal Society is not so convinced. They call Salmanazar in to test him. One of his interrogators is no less than Edmund Halley, whose name we now most associate with a comet. The French Jesuit Jean de Fontenay questions Salmanazar too. While in Beijing, de Fontenay had met China's Kangxi Emperor himself. It was this same emperor who reluctantly brought Taiwan into the Chinese Empire's fold. In other words, Taiwan is not ruled from Japan like Salmanazar claims. And while they're at it, de Fontenay says that the Chinese do not call Taiwan Pakando the way Salmanazar says they do. That's just a made-up name. But Salmanazar insists that Taiwan is Japanese, not Chinese. When questioned, he claims that his pale skin comes from being an aristocrat who never goes in the sun. Made-up cultural differences get him out of trouble too. Maps show Taiwan's latitude, so to test Salmanazar's claims, he's asked how long the sun shines down Taiwan's chimneys. Salmanazar replies that Taiwan's chimneys don't go straight up and down, so the sun doesn't shine down them at all. He's been debunked, but people still side with Salmanazar, maybe because those accusing him are Catholics or less than pious scientists. Salmanazar and his crazy antics are known to the brightest minds of the age. His name shows up in letters sent to Isaac Newton and to John Locke. Meanwhile, Salmanazar is still getting invited to the homes of the wealthy to demonstrate eating raw meat, as he claims the Taiwanese do. A second edition of his book includes a preface where Salmanazar attempts to defend his charade and fill in the growing number of holes in his story. He says that no one in Taiwan would believe stories about Europe either. He also accuses writers who've actually been to Taiwan of making it up. Instead, he offers his elaborate fantasy, full of stories of intrigue, sketches of exotic coins, and a chart of his made-up alphabet. But whether he meant to or not, tiny bits of fact do appear among the made-up stuff. Chopsticks are described, and there's something like the idea of reincarnation. He also mentions that people eat lots of rice, although he adds a bit about how eating too much rice has left many people short-sighted. The book also talks at length about what was then the very real persecution of Christians in Japan. The charade can't last forever, though. As criticism and evidence mount against him, Salmanazar tries a few last times at defending his story. But as we get into 1706, the truth is out and the Formosan craze is over. Salmanazar is a laughingstock. The people are tired of him, and later, he's even the butt of a joke in a newspaper. What happens to Salmanazar after his patrons and his luck run out? For a time, he tries to go into vaguely Asian-sounding crafts, trying to sell things like fans. At this point, he's also smoking a lot of opium, which, come to think of it, might explain where his crazy stories came from. Later, he moves on with his life and gets work as a writer and compiler. He becomes very religious and begins to feel guilty about the fuss he caused when he was younger. He starts working with other writers on more fact-based projects. One of them, started later in his life, is a geography of the world. Among the sections Salmanazar chooses to work on is the one about Taiwan. 
He starts it off with an apology to the reader, identifying himself as that crazy Formosan guy. Actually, he turns into a bit of a stuffy boar. But there's one last twinkle of mischief in him. To the very end, even in his final memoirs, he never reveals his true name or where he comes from. He may not have been Irish, Japanese, or Taiwanese as he claimed, but who he really was, we may never know. Salmanazar is so weird and fascinating that a full Chinese translation of his account has actually been published in Taiwan. Many people have gone chasing after Salmanazar's true identity in the centuries that have followed. Many others have referred to him or used him in their own works. Jonathan Swift's famous essay, A Modest Proposal, mentions Salmanazar directly, and Swift probably got a lot of his cannibalistic ideas from Salmanazar's fake and shocking book about Taiwan. According to one biographer, Salmanazar was even the subject of psychoanalysis as recently as the 1950s. It's easy to see why, but no one has ever really figured him out. While he never really set foot in Taiwan, Salmanazar has still taken his own eccentric place in the island's history. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again for another journey through time. This is Highlights, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Now with us is Leslie to tell us about the biggest animal story of the year. That's right, guys. I'm here to bring you a story about uh, pandas. Oh, mm. pandas. They're notoriously shy, and it's really hard to get to them to mate. Mm -hmm. So it's always a big deal when there's a baby <laughs> panda born. That's In fact, you could say true. it's absolute pandemonium. Pandemonium! <laughs> All right, let's have a look. A star was born on Sunday afternoon at the Taipei Zoo. After five hours of labor, panda mom Yuan Yuan gave birth to a female cub. Yuan Yuan picks her cub up with her mouth and holds her in her arms. The cub weighs just 186 grams. Unfortunately, Yuan Yuan slightly injures the baby during the embrace. She has a cut on her shoulder bone that veterinarians quickly treat. Yuan Yuan is exhausted from the birth, so the vet has taken some of her milk to feed the newborn cub. The vet wipes the cub's mouth and feeds her and tries to get her to make a bowel movement. The new panda cub is now in an incubator. Taipei Zoo spokesperson Eric Zhao says the cub just drank 18 milliliters of milk. She's able to nurse and is actively looking for food. He says the baby cub is safe and healthy, so everyone need not worry. Both of Yuan Yuan's pregnancies were through artificial insemination. They've tried every year, and this year she got lucky. Both times, Yuan Yuan also accidentally injured her baby, so they had to be separated from her during the first month. It's not easy being a mama bear. Here, Yuan Yuan is experiencing labor pain ahead of the birth. The panda cub will say hello to the public when she's about six months old, an event that's likely to draw a crowd. In the meantime, the zoo hopes the public can help give her a name. Now, did you see how adorable that panda was? Like, <laughs> so, so cute! cute. She so knew, she knew, right? She, she was selling it big time. <laughs> but she also needed a name, and you can't call her Boo Boo Wawa like I do all the time. And uh, the Taipei Zoo turned to the internet for some help. Have a look. Taipei Zoo's newborn Yuanbao is only about two months old, but she's already a media darling. Yuanbao spends most of her time sleeping in suckling milk. Last week, the panda cub still didn't know what her name was. Yuanbao, or Zozo, 
Now it's official. After an online vote, the public chose Yuan Bao as the baby panda's name. When Yuan Bao is not sleeping or drinking milk, she likes moving around and stretching her legs. The panda cub is neither playing cute nor doing exercise. It's all because of her claws, which are getting longer and longer each day. Taipei Zoo spokesperson Eric Cao says that when Yuan Bao moves around, her claws sometimes get stuck among bamboo leaves. Pandas have five toes on each leg, but the two front legs have an extra toe called a fake thumb, used to grab tea leaves and other objects. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 6185 kHz. In South Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.